The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Lo, and welcome to a brand new episode of I Love Wellness. I am coming to you from Long Island, New York. And today on the show, we have the founder of Lawless Beauty, the lovely Annie Lawless on the show. Hi. Annie, normally when we record in studio pre-COVID, you know, our producers would be there and our sound technician and I would have everybody always give golf claps when everybody <laughs> comes onto the show. But since I record from home now, I am a studio audience of one. I'm just so, happy I got one. That made yeah. my <laughs> Hey, we're here. Um, anyway, it's so nice to have you on the show. I am a huge fan of your makeup primarily because of your mission to make sure that it's clean, made with non-toxic ingredients. But you have a really interesting backstory um, on how you have gotten to where you are today. You are a multi-time founder of really successful businesses, and you were the co-founder of Suja Juice before Lawless. And I'm so curious as to how you jump from like one very specific category like juice into beauty. And I'm sure that you have passions in both. So that does not surprise me. But the industries themselves are so different to go from beverage to CPG in beauty specifically is very challenging. Um, So I would love it if you could introduce yourself. Where are you coming from today? Hi. Hi. Yeah. So... That is all correct. Um, I'm in San Diego recording at my house. Um, And yeah, you touched on, you know, having passions for both, but really my overarching passion is healthy living and health and wellness and really um, feeling and looking the best that you possibly can. There's so much in our control. And I learned that at a really young age. Um, I was diagnosed with celiac disease, but I was about 12. And this was long before there was like whole foods and gluten awareness and people knew what celiac was. I mean, I'm wow. 30 now, so this was like 20 years ago. What did you um, eat? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And at the time I was eating like every normal kid, like the standard American diet, pizza, cookies, sandwiches, pasta. Um, but I had really bad eczema and that was a chronic issue from the time that I was like a toddler into my adolescence. And That was really the catalyst for me getting tested for celiac because eczema is autoimmune and so is celiac. And I was quite old to have eczema severely as I did. A lot of infants and babies have it, but will grow out of it. Mm -hmm. And I had it chronically all over my face, my arms, legs. It was so itchy, so uncomfortable. So when I was diagnosed and kind of like followed this doctor approved food list and, you know, subbed like rice in instead of the normal wheat products I was used to using and cutting out bread and all of those Mm -hmm. things my eczema completely cleared up within like two weeks. And I was a kid that had asthma, that went away, no more inhaler. Um, All these things that I had never drawn a correlation to food because you're not taught anything about food. You don't think about food as a kid. So I just thought these were conditions I was born with and would always have all started to clear up. And that was really what got me into health and wellness. It was this first in my life kind of light bulb moment that was like, oh my gosh, there is this direct correlation between what we consume and how we look and feel. And the fact that I've been struggling with this my whole life and it just went away from not eating something was like mind blowing to me. So that was really how I got into health and wellness because I read 
tons of nutrition books um, all through high school and college just to educate myself. And that was how I got really interested in juicing and just learning how it could cure all of these skin issues and diseases and really um, nourish the body in a really clean and um, easy to digest way. I think that's so interesting that this happened to you or you, you know, discovered that you were celiac at the age of 12, 20 years ago now. And I think about the food system that we were living in at the time because it has changed. I don't want to say it's changed dramatically, but like it has changed quite a bit. And I mean, you remember the pyramid that we were taught at school, six to 11 servings of like bread every day? Like cereal. Yeah. Yeah, the bottom of that food pyramid. Um, and so I can imagine that you were struggling in a, in a really meaningful way. But how wonderful for you to be able to make the connection between food and your body at such a young age. I feel like people are just having those realizations now. You know what yep. I mean? People are doing elimination diets and discovering, oh, I have a sensitivity to dairy that I never realized where that was there, or a sensitivity to eggs or whatever. And, you know, that to me, like hasn't even really gone that mainstream yet. I feel like there's awareness, but actual participation in that type of stuff is still not high. Like I have a lot of friends and I'm like maybe one out of 10 that has ever done an elimination diet to try to go in and pinpoint things that are causing me some kind of issue. And so, you know, how interesting for you to be able to get through sort of the majority of your teenage years and young adult years with that information. You must've been so empowered by that. Absolutely. And I feel like even now, you know, we live in such a little bubble, like in Southern California, people are so health conscious. But when I really like take a step back and look at other areas of the country and my friends that live in other geographic locations, health and wellness is still something that is so up and coming. Like a lot of people don't really draw those correlations and understand the power of nutrition and food and like the individuality of each of our own needs and like what affects me could affect you completely differently. And there's so much power that we have over our own health by just making simple choices. And so for me, in some ways, it was like a blessing in disguise that there, this information wasn't popular at the time because it caused me to have to do a lot of research and reading and digging and just diving into nutrition books and really a lot of trial and error that I don't know if I would have done if this information was so accessible. I feel like it really caused me to go down that journey of self-discovery. And that really has stayed with me forever, that curiosity about like, how can I look and feel my best? And how can I make products that help people do that in such an easy way where they don't have to think twice, like that option is just available. It's not the exception, it's the norm. So right, like things are just good from the outset. Yeah. And that's really kind of like, I think the common thread between both of my businesses is creating products that take what I've learned that works really well for me and kind of like make something that I love, but better and healthier and cleaner accessible in a mainstream way. It's really interesting. So before we jump into your businesses, because I'm so curious about your founder story and how you have been able to build two really meaningful businesses for somebody who is looking to try to kind of create that wellness path for themselves what are like three easy tips that you can give people who are looking to start that journey? I mean, I would say, you know, don't expect perfection overnight or changes overnight and go in with an all or nothing mentality. Um, You know, the journey to making your health better through, you know, wellness things can be years. You know, it's small swaps. It's a lot of little changes, whether that's removing one thing from your diet, whether that's 
reading a book and bringing a couple of substitutions in, whether it's starting a new workout routine or new habits, whether it's drinking warm lemon water in the morning or doing, you know, 10 minutes of meditation. Um, I think that health and wellness can have this somewhat polarizing uh, feeling for people that haven't been participating in the wellness world, that it's like a very big commitment and you don't know where to start and it can be a little bit elitist. And I think that that's like such a misconception because wellness is as simple as like calling a friend for 20 minutes in the middle of the day and taking a break from work or taking a little nap or it looks different for everybody. But I think incorporating ways into your life to nourish yourself, whether that's through food, whether that's through meditation, whether that's through movement, you know, whether that's through rest, I think are all little things that we can do to slowly move the needle forward for ourselves. Um, and I think also just taking ownership, like there's so much, like I said, of our health and wellness that's in our control. And so owning that power and realizing that you are capable, these are choices that you can make. Um, and now, especially it's so easy to have access to healthier food. It's so easy to cook at home. It's so easy to plan ahead and, you know, meal prep and all these things that are available to us um, and lots of different programs and lots of different books and blogs and recipes. And I think that, you know, having fun with it and really taking charge of your health versus feeling kind of defeated by some of these things in your life that you're not happy with, whether it's your weight, whether it's your energy, whether it's your skin, whether it's your mood and kind of seeing it as like a project that you are in charge of, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I think that's helpful for sure. Um, okay, so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about your experience as a founder and what that journey has looked like for you. So I know you went to law school. Did you graduate or did you jump to Suja? Like what did what did that look like? Yeah, so I uh, went straight from- Are you a lawyer? <laughs> no, no, thankfully. I went straight from undergrad into law school because I got my bachelor's in philosophy and- I like had no idea what to do with it. And I, everyone in my program was like, oh, you know, I'm going to go teach or I'm going to go into law. And my dad's an attorney. And I was like, well, that's the next logical step. And in philosophy, there's so much about ethics. And I was like, this could be a really interesting thing to, you know, apply to law. And then when I got to law school, I was like miserable. Within the first like six months, I knew that I did not want to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of plugged on and realized, you know, for the first time in my life, I kind of started feeling like truly depressed. Like I would wake mm -hmm. up every day and have to go to class. Law school is very intense. So you're spending all your time on it, all your time studying, all your time researching, and then all your time in class. And I was like, I'm spending like all of my days doing something I'm just so not passionate about. Um, so I started teaching yoga at a local yoga studio and that was really a great outlet for me to meet people outside of law school and just do something that I was really passionate about and help kind of manage the newfound anxiety and kind of depression that I was feeling in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was where I met my initial partner, Eric, who we founded Sujo with together. And I would always take a glass of green juice, like in a glass bottle to my classes. And I had a cold press at home called a Norwalk press, which is kind of like this big clunky expensive machine with a million pieces that you would never want to like have in your home. <laughs> um, it's much more complicated than a standard like Breville juicer, but I was so obsessed with cold pressed juice. So I would always take that to class and Eric came up to take a class to the front desk and I was checking people in and we were talking and he had a glass of green juice in his hand. And I was like, where did you get that? And so when we struck up this conversation, we realized we both had these Norwalk presses. He had a background as a raw food chef. We had this like total mutual love for organic food and juicing and health and wellness. And so we really became like overnight best friends. We actually were dating for like two years. Um, we're still friends now, but I'm married and we are no longer together, but we started <laughs> the business together. And we really just started a local home delivery service throughout San Diego. 
that really started with a lot of the demographic and clientele that we knew through the yoga studio that we would always go to. And San Diego at the time, which is where I live, was not like LA and New York where you guys have had, you know, press juicery and liquideria and organic mm. Avenue and all these places. We have like Jamba Juice. And I mean, now even six, seven years after Suja began, we only have a handful of like organic, truly cold pressed juice places. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really started this little niche business because it was great for all the local people. They would just text us and place an order and then we would deliver it ourselves. So it really just started that way. And then it quickly gained traction and grew and some local people wanted to invest and it kind of just became what you know today as Suja. That's so interesting. So how did you originally begin work with distributors? Because I know in the beverage business, that's a huge part of it. Or did you guys have locations where people would walk into? I just know the beverage business is really complicated and it's really hard to succeed. So I'm curious sort of what you guys did differently or really kind of how you first got your foot in the door and were able to kind of scale the business into something that was backed by, I think like Coca-Cola and Goldman Sachs, right? Yeah. That's who, if that's who ended up buying it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were a really true story of like, we had great timing. So when we launched, we were at a time where Whole Foods was really looking to bring in niche brands. They were starting, do you ever see at your Whole Foods where it has local by certain products and then it has Mm -hmm. however many miles it was made and who made it? Yeah. So we're kind of starting that whole program. They were looking for local cool brands that had unique products that were sort of handcrafted and artisan, and they didn't have cold pressed juices yet. Um, They were just Mm -hmm. about to bring on Blueprint and they were looking for another brand. So they pushed us. And at this time we were completely like a little mom and pop operation. We had one little, like, it was literally the pastry closet in a nightclub was where we were operating out of. That was our space. We had (laughs) one commercial juicer. I was still delivering juice myself, like in my car. That's actually how I met my husband. He ordered juice from me and I delivered it. (laughs) Like it was very ground level operation. And so when we had an employee that had a relationship with Whole Foods, you know, she connected us. And when we started talking to them, they really loved our story and loved our brand. Um, So for for me, we had an interesting in that way, because I think that they were really looking for a product like ours. We were just getting started and we were this brand that was really hungry to work with a supplier like Whole Foods. We had, you know, a lot of opportunity ahead of us and we were ready to race quickly and really kind of be a Whole Foods brand. So um, they really helped us, you know, understand what needed to happen in terms of organic certifications and shelf life and really walked us through sort of like the ABCs of distribution with a retailer like that. Mm -hmm. And they were our initial partner that I think really put Sudra on the map and kind of like made it what it was. Yeah. Well, how fortunate to be able to work with Whole Foods kind of like off the bat as that primary retail distribution partner. Um, And the education that they provided you like willingly is, is really interesting. And I would say like unique. Yeah. They're incredible people. They, they really are an incredible business and they, they work with brands, you know, they want to have unique and interesting things for their customers. And so I think they really work with brands like us, little brands, you know, these little niche brands, because they know that we can provide something valuable to their customer. They can't get anywhere else. So it was a really, really phenomenal relationship. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then I know that you stepped away and you started Lawless Beauty. So how big of a risk was that? Yeah, well, so Lawless, you know, I left Suja in 2015 and I took about a year to kind of 
figure out what I wanted to do in my life. Like what was going to make me happy? Um, what's my next passion project? And for a long time, I had had just like a hobby blog. It was like beauty, fashion, outfits, skincare, health, wellness, recipes. And I would always get asked about like cleaner makeup options because I had switched over to clean skincare. I had posted a lot about my skincare routine and I was still using like conventional makeup, you know, from Bobby Brown and NARS and all the brands we know and love. And a lot of people would ask me, you know, like I'm looking for a, a cleaner foundation. What do you use? And I had nothing for them because I realized I know nothing about clean makeup. I haven't uh. done that world. So I decided I'm going to go and buy a ton of clean makeup from a ton of different brands, test everything and do a blog guide about my top clean beauty picks. So when I did that, I was super underwhelmed by my findings because I'm like a true makeup person. Like I would wear false lashes to the gym. So a full face of makeup kind of girl. And mm-hmm. when I went to, you know, test a bunch of the clean makeup on the market, it was very much for the no makeup makeup look which there's definitely mm-hmm. a place for, but that, that just wasn't the type of makeup that was, I was looking for that was going to replace, you know, my go-to Giorgio Armani foundation or my Chanel mascara or my NARS blush. And so it, I really felt like, well, I'm going to have to sacrifice the pigmentation, the performance, the coverage, the long wear, if I want to switch to clean makeup. And that's really a problem for me. Like there's a white space here. No one's doing high performance, clean makeup, clean skincare mm. had happened. Sephora had brought on great brands like Drunk Elephant and Tata Harper and Tatcha. And, you know, there was so much emphasis on ingredients. And I was thinking, why am I spending more money on clean skincare, loving the results on my skin, and then putting all the same ingredients back on my skin five minutes later with my makeup? Like, Mm -hmm. this makes no sense. Why don't we think of our makeup the same way we do with as our skincare? It covers our whole face. It's in contact with our skin all day. And so I just realized, okay, if I want to be able to have the same makeup aesthetic and payoff that I love every day. I need to create something for myself essentially that provides that, but without talc, without parabens, without synthetic fragrance, without mineral oil, without silicones and all those things that I really was trying to remove. Yeah. That was when I was like, okay, ding, ding, ding. That's, that's my next project. I want to do clean beauty and I want to put my angle on it because I think that it's very catered towards the no makeup makeup or five minute face or multi-product, like, you know, an eye, cheek and lip stick where I want a full 18. You want it all. Yeah. Like everyone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was really kind of like the seed for Lawless. And at the time, I mean, it wasn't really a huge risk because I wasn't setting out to do a huge brand. I, Mm -hmm. it was more of like, I'm going to set aside this little chunk of fun money that I'm going to do 11 lipsticks, launch it on my own DTC website, fulfill out of my little San Diego fulfillment and see what happens. So that was really, I started small. I didn't say I'm going to be this Sephora brand. I want to be nationally distributed. I want to, you know, it was really like, this could be fun. It doesn't exist. And I want to make it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Talk to me about sort of like your initial product R&D because I love product R&D. It's my favorite thing about building Love Wellness is that I get to go out and make all of these products and I've learned so much through that process. And I imagine with what you wanted to do, you probably called a lot of people and they were like, what? Like, I don't get it. And so can you talk me through that sort of like initial product research and development that you had to do and kind of what you discovered? Because it sounds like you already had an idea of what you didn't 
want to be in the products and you had a really good sense of, okay, these are the things that I know that are bad that cannot be here. So what are the replacements? And did they already kind of like exist or did you work with, you know, your developers to really like innovate on new formulas and things like that? I'm just so curious kind of how you guys make stuff that is to the standard of quality that you're looking for, you know, like for the makeup girl while keeping it really clean and non-toxic? That's such a good question because to this day, two and a half years later, that's my biggest challenge is like Mm. the R&D and the product development and formulation. And I realized um, the reason no one was doing like high performance, high pigment clean is because it's hard. Yeah. So initially I reached out to a bunch of labs via Google. I just Googled local labs, you know, Southern California based. And I made a bunch of phone calls and set up a bunch of meetings. Mm -hmm. And when I went in, I kind of went through and my blacklist was, was, and still is really what I was cutting out of my skincare and all the things that I had found beneficial for my skin. So for example, sure. silicone or dimethicone is one for me that Sephora still allows on the, their clean list. But for me, when I removed that from all my skincare and moisturizers and serums, I noticed like a lot, not acne, but a lot of like little bumps and texture that was like never a big issue, but it's just annoying went mm-hmm. away. So for me, mm-hmm. That was one of my blacklists. So I went through my blacklist and, you know, a lot of them didn't have a lot of stock formulas that were compliant with that. So mm-hmm. then it became, okay, we will create some samples. What are you interested in doing? And so just kind of talking through that process, I want to do a liquid lipstick. That was my launching collection because I had seen the Kylie lip kits blow up that summer before. Mm-hmm. I was like, in clean, there's only like lip balms or tinted oils. And like, I want to show that clean can have like a long wearing ultra matte, like really pigmented kind of like sexy, sizzly, trendy product right now. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of them didn't even know what liquid lipsticks were. So it was really like (laughs) round up. Like how can we take an existing lipstick that you have, make it into like a liquid, add some ingredients that really give it that like long wearing hold, that matte finish. And it was a lot of back and forth. And then when we finally landed on that formula, that was a really exciting moment for me because I realized, you know, there is more cost in the R and D when you're opening up a new formula versus taking something off the shelf, Mm -hmm. but it can be done. Like you have to make substitutes, but I would really think of it. What's a product I love conventionally and how can I back out the bad ingredients and make replacements and keep going and see until we can get to a place where I feel like it performs just as well. Um, so that was really kind of like how I got into the R and D process. And to this day, I mean, I still go through like 17 to 20 formulas sometimes before I get to the final point, because a lot of these things just aren't in existence. And a lot of cosmetic chemists that are classically trained and, you know, go to school for this are trained in a lot of the ingredients and formats of conventional. They're not clean beauty. Isn't really something that's taught in Mm -hmm. a lot of traditional cosmetic chemistry. So it's definitely a process. It can be really tricky. And like, there's reasons, for example, I haven't launched a mascara yet because I haven't landed on a formula that I love. And that's how I know in my mind, if I have my like favorite formula of all time from, you know, a non-clean brand in my vanity and I'm still reaching for that over my lab sample, I know that it's not ready. And Mm -hmm. so like certain products, I'm just, it's a lot longer of a process. Gosh, that eureka moment when that first liquid (laughs) lipstick that was right (laughs) felt so good. (laughs) But I think also, and I don't think a huge number of consumers really understand this, that in beauty, there is so much white labeling and very few brands actually take the time to go out and create original formulas. And so for you, 
your intellectual property is really significant and it adds significant value to the business that you're building. Um, I think just in general, you have tapped into such an interesting white space, like high performance clean. I love that. I think that is so kick ass. Um, and I'm just really impressed with your ability to kind of connect all the dots and make something for yourself that you knew would be relevant to so many other female consumers. So bravo. I think that's really cool. Thank you. So I'm curious right now because you're about to have a baby. Yes. How have the past few months been for you? Are you guys working from home? Is your whole team based in San Diego? Just like how are things going? Yeah. So that's that's another good question because I've always had a little bit of a weird structure. So I live in San Diego because my husband is here and my life is here, but my brand is really based in LA. So I actually have a place in LA and I was going back and forth and I would usually spend a couple days there. That's where my president, Rachel, is. My team is up in LA. Um, our offices, which were in transition, will be in LA. So now we're all working from home, obviously, and being pregnant, making the trek up to LA has become much different for me because it's like everything feels harder because I'm exhausted. Yeah. So we're all working from home, which has actually been a kind of a cool thing because I feel like we talk a lot more like all day long because we don't have another opportunity to connect. So we really have to have a lot of conversations, which is cool. And we are not really slowing down too much. Like we just launched a primer in May and we have another launch coming in less than a week. It's blushes mm-hmm. on Sephora and our site. We just finished up holiday and all of that. So we're still cranking away. Um, I've, I've definitely noticed that during this time, while it's definitely been different, uh, beauty is an interesting thing because all of the Sephora stores are closed, right. but we're still seeing our dot-com sales come through. I think people are still wearing makeup. So we're just cranking away. It's really mm-hmm. just business as usual. Good for you. That's great. Okay. So a couple final questions that I ask to all of the lovely guests that we have on the show and they're wellness related, but you don't have to interpret them from a wellness perspective if you don't want to. (laughs) Um, So the first question is, what is your secret ritual? This is something that you do that makes you feel happy or helps you unwind. So I've done this for years and my husband thought it was really weird when we first met, but I ask him every night what time he's waking up. And I set my alarm for 30 minutes before then. And I go into our bathroom and meditate. And it's just something that I have to do before people are up in the house. And like, I can hear the presence of others. I can hear Mm -hmm. noise or like, there's just that like movement in the air. Like I need the house to be still. So I don't care what time he's getting up. Like I will get up 30 minutes before, even if it's super early. Um, It's just like that time of the day for me where if I don't do it, I notice all day and that could just be psychological, but it works for me. It puts me in a good headspace. I feel very calm no matter what the day brings on. And I started doing this actually when I first got into yoga, when I was about 16 at my first yoga class, they like did a little meditation at the beginning. And I realized that I had gone in to the class so like hyped up. Mm -hmm. And when I felt differently after, it was just a practice that I constantly stuck with. And it's like the one consistent thing, whether I'm traveling, whether my routines changed, I do that every single morning at very early. That's very impressive. Do you ever go back to bed if you've got to get up too early? No. (laughs) Or do you just, are you just up for the day? I'm up. (laughs) Wow. I love that. Okay. And what is one thing that you do now that you wish that you had learned earlier? I would say pregnancy has actually really taught me this, but it's to kind of embrace rest. I'm someone that says yes to everything. And I like 
I get overly excited about everything that I'm working on because I truly love what I'm doing, but I will sometimes slip way lower on the totem pole and like start sleeping less, you know, eating every meal out, going out every night to a work thing. And Mm -hmm. before I know it, I'm like really running on nothing because I want to accomplish everything and being pregnant. I've had like this physical reason that I've had to slow down because my body's just not doing the same things that it would. It's telling me like, sorry, we're out of energy. So I think that like embracing rest and not seeing it as like a failure or like a lack of accomplishment and seeing it as more of like a good thing that I have these signals and it's time for me to like chill out. And then I actually perform so much better when I do take that downtime. I wish I had learned that a lot in my twenties because I was just so go, go, go. And I mean, I was like gone more than I was home and um, just always saying yes, yes, yes. And I think this is a much better way to live. Yes. I, I love that insight. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, congratulations on your baby coming very soon. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. You guys, thank you so much to my guest, Annie Lawless. This is I love wellness. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, review this podcast. It would mean so much to me and our love wellness community. And thanks again, Annie. Thank you guys.